Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sermon text that we have before us is Jesus' familiar parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. From Luke chapter 18, we hear verses 9 through 14. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. Jesus told this parable to certain people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on others. Two men went up to the temple courts to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. However, the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we pray. O Lord, give to us hearts that are not trusting in ourselves or in our own abilities, but hearts that trust in you and in the mercy that you are willing to show sinners. Amen. Please be seated. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was the son of a poor candle maker. He had only two years of actual schooling and then educated himself the rest of the time. And yet, in spite of these challenges that Ben Franklin faced, he ends up becoming an inventor, an author, a philosopher, a scientist, a founding father of America. Amazing, a rags to riches kind of tale. Similarly, similarly, Frederick Douglass, In the early 1800s, he was a slave in Maryland. He basically taught himself how to read and write. And then he escaped to the north and in Massachusetts, he became a a well-known famous abolitionist, an advocate for civil rights, a renowned orator, an author, a businessman, a statesman. Again, a rags to riches kind of tale. Or think of Walt Disney. Walt Disney grew up in a poor family. His father was an abusive alcoholic. Walt didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps. So through hard work, through dedication, through ingenuity, he ends up revolutionizing the entire entertainment industry, bringing us Mickey Mouse and Disney World. Again, all of these examples are speaking about a rags-to-riches kind of tale. And there are many other people that we could point out as well as examples. People like Thomas Edison or John D. Rockefeller or or even Oprah Winfrey, Steve Jobs, LeBron James, even President Obama. People who started off in lousy, lowly circumstances. And yet, through their efforts, through their hard work, through their dedication, they became successful. And these are people that are admired, almost universally admired and respected because they are considered to be self-made people. Have you ever heard someone described as being a self-made person? 
that you experience success because of your hard work, because of the dedication that you have, because of your own efforts. I think, especially here in America, that's something that we celebrate, isn't it? It's part of American history, really. People have come to America, they continue to come to America because we're known as the land of opportunity. I can go there and I can own my own land. I can make a name for myself. I can earn wealth. I can do something for myself. My circumstances for me and my family will be far better over there. The land of opportunity. And these aren't bad things. Even for us as Christians, we want to make use of the opportunities that God places before us. It's not a bad thing to have drive, to have motivation, to have ambition, especially when it comes to the different vocations that God places us in. When God places opportunities before us, we want to seize them. These are not bad things. We want to be able and we want to be working hard. God doesn't want lazy people. Being lazy is a sin. Laziness is not God-pleasing. It is self-pleasing. When you are lazy, you are not loving God, and you're not serving or loving the neighbors, the people around you who rely on you. St. Paul puts it very plainly and bluntly in 2 Thessalonians 3. If anyone does not want to work, he should not eat. Indeed, we hear that some among you are idle, not busy working, but being busy bodies. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and urge these people to work quietly and eat their own bread. This leads us to a question. For us as Christians, though, how should we feel about self-made people? Is this something that we want to be, self-made Is being self-made something that we as Christians should value and strive for? Now, of course, being dedicated, being driven, being hardworking, not lazy, these are all things that self-made people value. They are really the keys to their success. And these are also characteristics that Christians should want to have. But, dear friends, there's a distinction that we need to make. Because even when we, as Christians, are dedicated, when we are driven, when we have ambition, when we, when we are not being lazy but hardworking, and if our efforts then lead to some success and wealth, we would, as Christians, never proclaim ourselves to be self-made. As Christians, we do not ever give credit to ourselves, but instead we point to God as the one who's the ultimate source of our success. I mentioned this verse a couple weeks ago in a sermon. Moses, he's explaining to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, remember that the Lord your God is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It all goes back to God, doesn't it? Isn't the whole idea of being a self-made person really, honestly, An empty illusion. Yes, of course, we might work hard. We might be dedicated. But when we as Christians start giving ourselves credit for what we have, instead of giving credit to God, well, then there's a problem. We run into a serious spiritual problem. 
And this was the problem that the Pharisee in our text for today had. He was getting carried away with this notion that he was a self-made man. And he was holding that up to God as a reason why God should be happy with him. God should be grateful to have a person like me here in his house, in his temple, standing before him. That's how the Pharisee felt. But walking into God's house, standing before God, and then pointing at yourself, glorifying oneself, that's downright insulting to God. In God's church, self-made people do not, they cannot exist. When it comes to our spiritual lives, our own accomplishments, no matter how outwardly impressive or valuable they might be, they are still, spiritually speaking, imperfect and incomplete. And so we need to leave those at the door. Even imagine, imagine even if the richest man in the world walks in our doors at Mount Olive. Elon Musk comes to church one Sunday. And he says, here's all of my money, all of my wealth. I want you to have it. I want you to use it, support your school, high schools, college, do mission work throughout the world. I want to be right with God. Is that how you get right with God? Would that work? Would that make him righteous in God's eyes? Incredibly generous act, sacrificing everything that he has. But would that make him worthy of heaven in God's eyes? Of course not. That's not how it works. Not what these hands have done, we just sang. Isaiah describes it in Isaiah chapter 64. All of us have become like something unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. If you and I try to stand before God and we point at our greatest achievements, and if we think that those great achievements somehow make us worthy of God, of standing in his presence, of making us righteous before him, well, then we would be like a person who takes some raw sewage and holds it up to God and says, look at this, God, isn't this great? Don't you want this? Gross. No. Get that away from me. It's going to be the answer. The Pharisee standing up in the temple, proclaiming how great he was, how he was a self-made man. He was depending upon himself. And that's why that Pharisee in the temple, he went home that day still dead in his trespasses and sins. He was not justified by God. Outwardly, he might have had some impressive characteristics. But inwardly, sin was still living in his heart. He didn't belong to God. This Pharisee was so busy saving himself with all of his righteous works that he never got around to letting God save him. And watch out, because the devil is working to get you to think and act in the same way. Satan wants you to believe that God will only be pleased with you if you do the right things, if you do them well enough, if you do enough of them. The devil then loves to twist it and take it to the next step. 
to take those things that you do and then get you to rely on those things, those things that belong to you, those things that you have done. He wants you to rely on them as the Pharisee did, pointing to those things that belong to you as being those things that make you worthy to stand before God. And then the devil really loves to try and get you to become convinced that those things that belong to you, those things that you have done, are the things that should give you comfort. Because he wants you to look at those things as being the source of your salvation. As if what you do is why you get to stand in God's presence. Satan wants you and me to think, Of course, God's going to have to be happy with me. Look at me. I'm a successful, self-made person. Look at me, God. Look at all that I've done for you. Aren't you happy with me? Again, working hard, being dedicated, being driven, being motivated, having ambition, these are not the problems. Christians will want to work hard. Christians will want to do good. But the problem lies in the motivation for doing these things. It's the attitude of the self-made person, the attitude that we find here in the Pharisee that is the problem. Such people are glorifying themselves and they're placing their confidence in their own holiness. They have faith in themselves instead of God. And that kind of attitude, that kind of heart, definitely does not make God happy. The works and efforts that come from a heart and attitude like this are not pleasing to God. They stink like raw sewage before him. They are dead to him. These works are not flowing from a heart that has faith in God, but from a heart that has faith in a false God, having made itself a God. The Bible's clear about this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we're told, Without faith, without faith in God and in his Christ, it is impossible to please God. Do not fall into this trap of thinking that you can be a spiritually self-made person. That is impossible. And that is a deadly, eternally deadly mistake to make. The other person that we hear about in this parable is a tax collector. He was one who, spiritually speaking, had nothing going for him. He would have been a crook, a traitor. People would have looked at him as if he had sold his soul to the Roman aggressors for money and wealth. By his own admission, he was a miserable sinner. He had absolutely nothing that he could show or offer God. He didn't come into the temple that day to boast or brag. Instead, he knew that he was in need of help that he couldn't give to himself. And so he comes into God's temple that day in this parable to receive mercy from God. And in our parable, Jesus makes an incredibly shocking statement. His original hearers, they would have been completely dumbfounded. You probably would have heard visible gasps, or visible, audible gasps from the people. Their jaws would have dropped open when Jesus said it was this man, the tax collector, and not that righteous, seemingly righteous Pharisee, who went home justified right with God. He is the one, the tax collector, 
who was not a spiritually self-made person who goes home justified. He goes home justified because he was a made-by-the-grace-of-God person. He was like St. Paul. As St. Paul described himself a few moments ago, we heard in our epistle lesson. And he explains how he's the least of the apostles. He doesn't even deserve to be called an apostle because he was one who had persecuted the church. Paul had blood on his hands. And yet, what does he say? Though not worthy to be called an apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not ineffective. Picture it this way. You're in a courtroom and God is sitting there on the bench and before him are these two individuals, the Pharisee and not the tax collector, but Jesus with the tax collector standing behind Jesus. God's looking and he has to determine which one is righteous, which one is not. Who's he going to choose? This is really the distinction that we make here in this parable. It's that tax collector with Jesus standing with him, covering him, that is righteous in God's eyes, not that Pharisee. When the tax collector turns to God in the temple, beating his breast, saying, Lord, I can't do anything for myself. Lord, I need your help. I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness. At that moment, Jesus is coming and covering him with his righteousness. And God really says to that, that tax collector there in the temple, he says to him, you have the forgiveness that has been won for you by Jesus. I'm looking at you. And I see the faith that you have, the trust that you have, not in yourself, but in me and in my son, Jesus. And I no longer see your wretched sinfulness. Instead, I see the perfection of Jesus covering you. I see my beloved child here standing before me. Not you, Pharisee, but you, tax collector. You are my child. You are righteous and holy before me. Again, not because of anything he has done but because of what Christ has done and now covers him with. The righteousness of that self-made Pharisee, it was lacking. It might have been better than other people, perhaps, but it still was falling far short of God's standard of perfection. Jesus, though, he surpasses that standard of perfection. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was never lazy. He was always dedicated hard-working, driven, full of ambition, not for himself, but ambition for his heavenly Father. He was seeking to glorify his Father in all that he did. And through his holy, perfect life, Jesus earned righteousness that he now freely shares with all who turn to him with that prayer of the tax collector. He comes, and when you and I we desire his mercy, and we make that tax collector's prayer our own, and we say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In that moment, we're rejecting any notion that we could be self-made people or that we have anything that we could offer God that would make things right with him. And we are saying, Lord Jesus, I need everything from you. Lord, cover me with your perfect righteousness. Only then will I be able to stand in the presence of God and see him smiling in love upon me. Dear friends, this is a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. He removes all of your sins. 
He forgives all of us for those times when we have been lazy, or even of those times where we might have thought of ourselves as being self-made people. We might have pointed to ourselves with arrogance, trusting and having faith in ourselves. When we repent of those, we say, Lord, I was wrong. Jesus comes and he removes those sins as well. When we fail to acknowledge that our successes come from God, we are pointed by our Savior away from ourselves. He points us instead to the cross and to what he has done as being the source of our salvation. Simply turning to Jesus with this simple prayer. It's it's very similar to the prayer of, of the thief that died on the cross next to Jesus. Remember me, Lord. Not because I'm able to do anything to earn your favor. Simply because of your mercy, remember me, Lord. That was the prayer of the thief on the cross. And what does Jesus say to him? You will be with me in paradise. And when that prayer becomes our own, and it is our own, I heard all of you speak it a few moments ago at the very beginning of our, of our service in the confession of sins. When we admit, Lord, have mercy on me, an unworthy sinner, Jesus comes to us and he says, you will be with me in paradise. Those are words that are especially re-echoed and magnified when on Easter morning the tomb is open and empty and the angel is there announcing he's not here, he is risen. Jesus lives, risen from the dead. And that means to you and me that someday we're going to come out of our own graves and we are going to be with Jesus in paradise, eternally, in heaven, not because we deserve it, not because we have done anything to earn it, but fully because he has mercy on us. You and I are not spiritually self-made people. We're something infinitely better. We are made by the grace of God to be his people. We are people who get to go out these doors today forgiven, justified, A few moments ago, we heard in our Old Testament lesson a description, and we were saying, look, I am blameless. I am righteous. I am clean. I have kept the ways of the Lord. And when you first read through that section, you might think, is this really talking about me? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. But these are words that do describe us. Not because we've done anything to deserve these titles, but because, as it said, God saves humble people. He shares his grace with you and with me as we come before him with that prayer of the tax collector, with the prayer of that thief on the cross, with the prayer of of St. Paul. He answers that prayer for us in his word When we come to this place and we hear his word preached and proclaimed, shared with us, when we open his word daily and have our own devotions, we hear how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We hear Jesus say, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. We hear the word proclaiming, you have peace with God through Jesus. This prayer of the tax collector of the thief on the cross of St. Paul. It's also a prayer that is answered in your baptism. When you came to the baptismal font, God washed you clean of your sins. 
Paul writes in Galatians, You who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That means you are now that one who's covered in Christ's righteousness. So when God looks at you, he sees his beloved child. That prayer of the tax collector, the prayer of the thief on the cross, the prayer of St. Paul, it's also answered when you and I gather around God's altar here and we receive Holy Communion. Take, eat, my body, my blood, given, shed for you for the forgiveness, the remission of all of your sins. So what does all of this mean? It means that you and I are not spiritually self-made people, and we don't want to be. Instead, we find ourselves joyfully as those who are made by the grace of God. And as St. Paul explained too in our epistle lesson, that grace in me is not ineffective. He worked hard. He wasn't lazy. He was happy to go out and do what God wanted him to do. Not because he was earning anything from God, but he did so happily, joyfully, knowing that heaven belonged to him. And this was a way that he could express his joy and praise and thanks to God. Same goes for you and me. We can go out and we can happily do what God wants us to do. Not because we are trying to be self-made, but we do so happily, joyfully, because we know that we get to go out today and every day as those who are forgiven, justified, made by the grace of God. All glory be to him who gives us this full and free grace to the one who has made us his people. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God that passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.